Well, good morning. That was pretty weak. Good morning. There we go. That's better. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Well, my name is Corey, and I have the privilege and honor of working with middle school students. Now, you're probably thinking, wow, this guy must be special. Well, I hope I am. Um, I love middle schoolers, and here's why. They have an element of innocence about them, and they are just so passionate sometimes with the things that they like in life. Um, sometimes they're passionate about absolutely nothing, and it's just a phase. They will get through it. But I want you to think about a time when you were young. It could be middle school. It could be younger. It could be a little kid where you wanted one thing. Maybe it was for Christmas. Maybe it was just the thing that was popular that year. Now I want you to get something in your mind, and I want you to, to just think about how much you wanted it, why you wanted it. Maybe it's because all of your friends had it. Maybe it was for other reasons. Well, I have a list of some things that came out that were popular per year. And so um, inevitably a device or something comes out each year that everybody loses their mind over, especially at Christmas, in which sends the prices through the roof and sends you trying to hustle and try to find one for your kids. But for 1984, some of you, this is prior to you were even thought of to be in existence um, 1984, the Sony Discman was introduced to the public. And if you're like, what's a Discman? It is a portable CD player. And it was revolutionary. And everybody wanted one. I can remember whenever I got my first portable CD player. And then that big stack of CDs that I carried around like a book with me to go along with that. But in 1989 came the original Game Boy. 1995, Beanie Babies. Now, crazy to think of how much these things were going for. Like, if you were a part of the, the very first ones that had the dinosaur Beanie Babies, um, they were selling up hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And it's just crazy because it's a toy. Skip ahead to 2005, maybe some of you are like, okay, now I'm st I can relate, was the Xbox 360. Now, you have either probably bought one for your kid, or if you are a kid, you can, a, a student, somebody, you can remember the excitement of getting one of those. Now, let's, let's fast forward all the way to 2016, Hatchimals. These, these went crazy. It was like this stuffed animal and an egg and it was very very poorly hatched and they were so expensive but I want to go back to 2007 something significant happened in the year 2007 2007 the very first iPhone was released and that year alone there were only 1.4 million units sold an asking price starting at $400, it was, it was a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. But here's what you got. Because of the popularity of the iPod, you can now have your iPod on your phone. And no more trying to hit the button three times to get whatever letter that you wanted to text with. 
full screen, full keyboard, and this is what revolutionized it. Full internet on your phone. No more of the having to flip open and go through what they call was the internet, but you know it was not the internet. Now, all of this to say, those 1.4 million units sold drove up the expectation for what would be 2008, which was the release of the iPhone 3G. The second model iPhone, and you can see if you like pull out, if you have a, a smartphone of any type, you can see it's, if you have ever seen those, they're super tiny. A lot of the phones are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the size of iPads. But they, it revolutionized. It went from 1.4 million units sold in 2007 of the first generation to over 11.5 million units sold in 2008 of that phone right there. Now, the drive... And what people did to have these is incredible. So I looked up some stories of what people have done to own an iPhone. Now, I'm going to start kind of low and then kind of build up to the crazy things. But one guy stood in line for 240 hours, which equates to 10 days, slept on the streets just to have the first iPhone. Now, 10 days. Can you imagine? Man, I can't. That is not worth it. Not worth it at all. There's actually a company based out of New York that when big things like this are released to the public, you can hire them and they will go and stand in line for you. So there have been people that have paid other people to go standing in line for them, which... This guy that stayed for 10 days should have definitely done that. Can you imagine our society, our culture, it's driven for these new things. These new things create status. They create this idea that if we are the first to have it, then it sets us apart from everybody else. There are people that would later go on to fly to a different country to be the first to get an iPhone. We have others that would, um, this one guy, to get an iPhone 7, there was a promotion that this store was doing, and he legally changed his name to iPhone 7 per the store's contest so that he could have a brand new iPhone. And the craziest of all, this one guy went and sold a kidney, yes, a kidney, to have enough money to buy an iPad and an iPhone. Our culture is messed up. <laughs> Plain and simple. Whenever our ambitions and our goals are, to, are based on material things, it creates a focus that is not Christ-centered. And it's also a focus that is like a cycle that never ends. Because the craze over this phone was tremendous. But it's over. Each year there's going to be a new iPhone. Something will be released that people will want. So now that you have that item, 
Yes, it might bring you joy and contentment, and, and you might love it for a little bit, but as soon as that next thing is advertised, that gotta have it mentality that our culture says begins to seep in. Now, this idea is not just within our society today. For the last month or so, we've been in the book of, of 1 Timothy. And we have been in this book. And, and I want to give a little bit of backstory about why this book is and where we are going to be at in this book today. Now, Timothy is, is a person that uh, is a guy that Paul trained. And so Paul trained him to go and take over a ch the church in Ephesus. And so Paul is writing these, these two letters, First and Second Timothy, to Timothy to encourage him, but also to address some issues that are going on in the church. Imagine how Timothy must have felt. Probably super excited that he is like getting to step up and like Paul trusts him enough to take over this church. But man, they've got some issues. They've got some considerable issues that he is the point person in the field to try to eliminate or take care of. And so Paul addresses these things to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 about this idea of materialism. Now imagine just how Timothy is, he is, as I said, he is like in this church. He is there doing all the work in a sense. Like he is making sure everything's running as it's going. And then we see that there are some significant issues with some false teachers and people coming and just doing some messy, nasty stuff in the church. In 1 Timothy 6, 3-5, we see this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in the mind and deprived of truth, imagining that God, godliness is a means of gain. So what we have here, we have these false teachers that are coming in, and they're saying, look, this is not how you need to be doing. Well, Paul says, yeah, that might be okay, but let me tell you how really to live. And so they began to attack the church, in a sense. They began to create quarrels. They began to do all of these things to drive a wedge into the church because their one goal is to bring attention to themselves. And how else to bring attention to themselves is to, to teach, but also live out this idea that money, fame, fortune, all of this stuff is good. That all of this stuff can lead you, can excel your status in life, and it can push you further than what Paul is teaching. And these, these false teachers are sneaky because they start off little, 
And they begin to approach the right people that might have some difficulties, differences with other people. And they begin to start these different arguments and quarrels. And they begin to spread all of this different slander and all these different things about people and about the church and all of just a bunch of mess. And so Timothy is here. He is witnessing all of this. He knows about these false teachers. But you have to think about the church also. Church is a, is a place that, and has always been a place, where a lot of messed up people come to. And that's the purpose of a church. A church is supposed to be this place where people come and bring their messes to and try to find hope and try to find the light, which is Jesus. The church isn't the perfect institution, Nobody in here has their act together. We all struggle with different things. And so these false prophets capitalized on that. And they could see, oh, there's some people that got some different arguments, different things that are going on. So let's start some rumors, maybe. Or let's start you know, talking bad about this person or this person. And it begins to split the church. It's significant enough that Paul is writing to Timothy about it. Meaning that Timothy is like, man, I need some help. I direction something. And Paul gets word of this and writes it to Timothy, look, stay strong. Encourage the church to, do, to not do these things. But imagine the pull that these false teachers had among these people. Saying, look, you can have this. You can have money, you can have status, you can have wealth, you can have fame, you can have all these things. Just come over here. Come over here and be on our side. They are creating nothing but hostile environments. And all of these things are so that they can personally and financially gain through these people. I just can't imagine the pressure that Timothy must have went through, trying to figure out what, how, how do I even go about this? How do I prevent this from spreading even more? And the next set of, past, next set of scripture, starting in verse 6 through 9, we see that Paul has a response to this. Paul says, But godliness with content is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall in temptation, into a snare, into the senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now Paul is focusing on contentment. Being content with what we have, with what God has given us. Now there's things that Paul is saying in this passage and things that he is he's not saying in this passage. Paul is saying that materialism only leads to ruin and a deeper path of despair. You see, materialism can creep in. And as it begins to creep in, and what I mean by materialism and what I mean by also, like Paul is not saying that things are bad. Having things, Paul's not saying that at all. He's not saying that money is bad. What he's alluding to and what he gets to is the love of these things. 
Because when we set our priority as things and money and all of these different things, our focus gets solely on them and what happens to God. God takes a back seat. God becomes second, third, fourth, fifth instead of being our primary focus. And if God is our primary focus, then what happens? If we are focused on God, meaning that we are are focused on growing our relationship with him, we are reading our Bible, we are studying God's word, we are daily actively seeking to follow him, not just saying we are, not just being the Sunday Christian or the Christian that all of our friends think that we are, but really we're, we're not. But if we are actively seeking him and pointing our lives at him, then what's going to happen? We're going to walk towards him. But if our focus is on money, if our focus is on things, then what happens? This is what happens. Our love for things and desire for cultural status can become our focus. And once it becomes our focus, it becomes the desire of our hearts. Our desire is to get that thing. And we're going to stop at nothing to get that thing because that good feeling that we get whenever, you know, like we have that and people see that we have that. I have a friend and I, he got the very first iPhone. And we were walking through the mall one day and we went, I remember we went down the escalator and there was this kiosk of like a Verizon kiosk or AT&T. It was definitely AT&T at the time because they only carried iPhone. But as we walked by, this guy said, hey, man, I got this. This guy working there is like, hey, I got this sweet phone. You need to get this. What kind of phone do you have? And so he pulls out his brand new iPhone, the one that everybody had been talking about. And that guy just shut up because he, he, he didn't have anything that could compare to the iPhone. And I was talking to my friend, he's like, man, that kind of made me feel a little good, you know? It's like, I had something, and that guy thought it was awesome. That feeling is what we like. And if we don't know how to control that feeling, then that feeling can lead us to a life of materialism. Because our focus becomes on that. And once we have that object, it's good for a time. But then somebody else is going to come along and they're going to have something better. That next iPhone, that next iPad, that next gaming system, that next car. And if we are living a lifestyle of materialism, it not only affects us and our relationship with God, it affects every avenue of our life. It can affect our family life. It can affect our relationship with our kids. It can affect our relationship with our friends. It can also affect us financially. Because if we are so focused on getting those things that people see, then we're, not, we're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that that happens. Whether that's opening up a brand new credit card, whether that means going into a significant amount of debt that we don't know how we can get out of. All because of that status and what it looks like to other people. You see, Paul in this letter to Timothy is warning about all of those things. Now, he's, once again, he's not saying that these things are bad, that the love of these things that takes priority over God is bad. 
this idea of materialism, it can creep in in a heartbeat. And we have all been there. We have all been at a time where we have wanted something and we have put our heart and soul into getting this one thing. But we cannot rely on that thing for our contentment in our life to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us joy. Because Paul says in this passage, once again, but godliness with content is great gain. In Matthew chapter 6, as Sonny read earlier, it says this, Do not lay treasures up for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay for up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where near, neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow. I know for me, from time to time, I have to reevaluate where my heart is. And I think each and every one of us need to regularly do a checkup within ourselves. Like, where am I at? Where am I at in my relationship with God? Where am I at with my relationship with my family? Where am I at with putting God as a priority? Because when I put God as a priority, all of these things matter less. Because we know and we believe that our fullness, our hope, our joy, everything comes from Him. And once you've experienced that joy, that peace, that contentment, that fulfillment that only He can give, and you know it from that level, then the things of this world are going to mean less and less and less. Now, we are imperfect people, and from time to time, those things can begin to creep in. But Paul moves on to verse 11, and he says this. Instead of pursuing all of those things, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I love this term, fight the good fight, because Paul understands that there's a struggle here. Paul understands that it is not an easy task to live differently in this world and not be pulled in by the culture because we are called to be set apart. But Paul is also saying fight. And with any fight, there's a struggle between opposing forces. There is a fight within us and fight within our sinful nature that we want to do those things. We want to put all of our focus into having these things because it elevates us and makes us feel good and makes us look good. But what Paul is saying is, look, this is, you've got to fight for this. You can't allow these things to come in and creep in your mind because they are like a disease that will eat you from the inside out. And before you know it, 
You've lost your focus away from him and you've put your focus just on these things. Now, many of us in here were like, yeah, I'm fighting. I'm, I'm, I'm in there. I'm in this fight. But man, I'm struggling. I am struggling. But you see, there's an element of struggle where you have to be actively trying to do good. That's what struggle means. Some of us in here say we're struggling, but we're just doing what the culture says is okay. We're not struggling, we're just giving into it. We are allowing our focus to not be on him. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about what your focus is. Because as adults, as students that are in here, there are always going to be people that are looking up to you. For students in here, there are kids in Kids Rock that are looking up to you right now. I know for our middle schoolers, they look up to the high schoolers so much. And they model their lives after them. And parents, you have the biggest influence on your kids, whether you want to believe it or not, whether you say, well, they're at school seven to eight hours a day, however many it is. Um, I don't see them very much, but you have the biggest impact on their life. And if you're living a life of materialism, if you're living a life where you, you have to have these things to find peace, to find hope, in your life, and you think that these things are going to be fulfilling, then your kids are going to see this, and they're going to know, oh, that's how that works. It's incredible to see the amount of students that walk through our doors that struggle with materialism. In a world that is trying to figure out what their identity is, how they are distinguished from everybody else, how they are set apart, how do they fit in, but also how are they unique in their own way? A lot of times, they'll look to things because things create a presence of excitement around them. It also creates friends for them, what they think are friends. Things, when people say, oh, like, you got the new Nikes, or you got the new iPhone, then people recognize that and they give them attention. I want you to think about your life and I want you to, to look at your life through a God lens. Meaning that I want you to look at your life and say, what are some things that I know that I need to change in my life? Some priorities that I need to set straight, some things that I need to put some attention to so that I don't become a, a person that's more focused on things than my relationship with God. Because Paul so clearly illustrates in here for us. He so clearly illustrates how easy it is for us to fall by the wayside with this. It's so easy for us to fall. What boundaries, what perimeters do you have set in place? So when you are faced with difficulties, when you're faced with temptations that you know that you're not going to fail, 
Through all of this, and as serious as Paul is about this, Paul is so serious about grace and mercy. You think about the life that Paul had uh, of being somebody that persecuted Christians. He had it all. He was a religious leader that had power, had authority, had all of these things. And Paul would later go say, what all that I have accomplished is rubbish compared to what I have in him. Everything that we are, everything that we attain, everything that we do is rubbish compared to the hope, the peace, the grace, the forgiveness that we are given by our Heavenly Father. As you go today, I want to pray and I want to encourage you to let things not come in the way of your relationship with anybody, especially with God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time that we could come and spend in your word. God, your, your word is so serious about how easy it is to fall to things, to fall to the temptation, um, the pressure, the struggle of our culture to, to have these things as a way of status, as a way of um, fulfillment even. God, I pray that you would lead us as we go out. Help us to be forever changed and know that you are always with us and that you always will forgive us of all of our sins, God. We thank you and we praise you in your name.